Uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about questions from the cross. Questions from the cross. Uh, we are leading up into uh, Easter Sunday next week. It's one of my favorite, favorite days of the year. Resurrection Sunday. Because it, it uh, deals with really the true power of Christianity. Not just the fact that Christ died for our sins. Praise God for that. And not so that we can die out to sin. And not just the fact that he was buried in a tomb and covered. That our sins and our past and our old self is covered. That alone is powerful enough. But it's that the, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead in newness of life. So that it's, our salvation just isn't a matter of we just die out to our old self and that's it. And we can praise God for it. But it's that we get to become new creatures, the Bible said. Uh, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You get to have a new empowered life full of the Holy Spirit. And, and all the things you used to struggle with, you are now empowered to have victory over it because of the Holy Spirit who is alive and at work in your life. And uh, that, that is exciting. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the power of the resurrection and especially a specific word I believe that God has for this congregation uh, corporately and individually, uh, a right now word that the Lord gave me. He, about two weeks ago, he dropped it in my heart, and I asked him if I could preach it. He said, not till Easter. So, okay, all right, not till Easter. But today, today is going to be a step, step up toward that. We're going to talk about the cross because you can't have resurrection in your life until you go through a crucifixion, until you bury some things. Then you can encounter resurrection, but first you've got to have a crucifixion, and that's not always popular within Christianity. Uh, we're going to read this this week and next week. This is going to be one of our key verses, Philippians 3 and 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. How many wants to really know him? How many wants to really encounter God? I don't mean just a, hey, I'm showing up on Sunday. See, I'm doing the right thing. And I occasionally read a Bible verse and I occasionally say, a, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Now, I'm talking about a true daily relationship 24-7 where you can hear his voice. He hears your voice where, where he is guiding you. I want to know him. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. Before you can even know the power of his resurrection, you're going to have to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. We have done a, a, a sad disservice to the body of Christ over the last several decades. We have created an atmosphere where, because we just wanted to grow churches and get as many people in and make as many people feel as comfortable as possible, that we just kind of sold this theology that, man, if you come to the Lord, everything's going to be taken care of and you ain't going to have no problems. Jesus is the answer to all your problems. So come on in and give your heart to Jesus and you're going to be just fine. And then people get frustrated because they still deal with problems. And the reality is, if you are going to grow in the Lord, you are going to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. You get to know him in the, in, in the power of his resurrection. That's part of it. But before you encounter that resurrecting power, there's a little bit of 
of trials and tribulations and some dying out to some things that you have to do. We've created an instant Christianity of microwavism. You know, we want God's blessing right now. Lord, I prayed for it. Can you bless me now? We, uh, uh, many of us don't want to dig in and have this personal relationship. We, we're satisfied with attending a church, having a preacher tell us what we need to think about that week, and then just move on, having the preacher do all the prayer and the digging and the rooting around in the Word. And, hey, tell me what he's saying, and that's great and grand. And then we get frustrated because God, well, God hasn't answered my prayer. Or how, when did you pray about it? Well, yesterday, and he still hadn't answered my prayer. And yet, yet no one, no one within that type of culture is interested in digging in and dying out. How bad do you want to experience resurrection power? Do you want it bad enough that you're willing to go to your own personal cross and lay your life down for it? When was the last time we, we spent a couple of hours on our face crying out to God just so that we could see something move in our life? So am I, am, I'm not trying to talk about performance-based religion. And, and praise God, we don't have to die for our own sins. The actual death, burial, and resurrection of Christ took care of our sins and took care of our salvation. And, and matter of fact, that pattern we see repeated. That's the pattern that, that happened when we came to Christ. We, we died out to ourselves. We were buried in Christ. That's why we, we do baptisms. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be doing baptisms. I want to encourage you. If, if you've never been baptized, come talk to me. Or if, if somewhere along the line, you've rededicated your life to the Lord. You want a brand new start. There's nothing wrong of getting baptized on this side of that, that circumstance. But, but it's a sim- symbolism. The word baptism means buried. In the Greek, it means that we're, gonna, we're, we're taking the old you, we're burying it in a watery grave, and you come up in the name of Jesus, something brand new creature. Old things have passed away. All that mess is symbolically left in the water. Man, we had, to, we had to pray for the fish out here by the time we baptized all them people last year. But all that mess is left in the water. You come up something brand new. But before... So, so, so all of that has to do with our salvation. Salvation is free. It's a gift from God. It's by his grace. Matter of fact, you can't even claim and boast about uh, the faith that you had to believe in it because he gave you the faith, Paul said. So, so all of that, I'm not talking about trying to do something to work toward your salvation, but I am talking about a growth and an evolution and an awakening and, and, and uh, growing from uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, from glory to glory in God, to, to move into new phases. There, there comes a time that you've got to die out to some things about yourself and, and be resurrected into something brand new. Oftentimes we think that when we join uh, the church, when we come into a relationship with Christ, that we've hopped on a cruise ship. The truth is we've hopped on a battleship because it's war. So who are we warring against? Are we warring against the devil? Well, not all the time because the devil's a defeated foe. I'm not worried about the devil. I'm not worried about demonic force. I'm not worried about all that. But why? Because my father's taking care of that. And the Holy Spirit, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. But the biggest enemy I'm dealing with is the enemy in a me. God, save me from myself. Because trust me, my own mind can do far more damage than anybody else outside of me. Anyone with me on that one? And so if, if I can learn to start dying out to this, 
and start getting the mind of Christ and dying out to my own selfish will and my own selfish desires and my own uh, perception of how things should be and ought to be and how God should work and ought to work in my life and just die out and let go and allow him to do something in me, man, that's, that's the fellowship of his suffering. That's the fellowship of his suffering. But we're gonna, if we're going to fellowship with him in his suffering, we have to observe how he suffered. So we're going to read real quick uh, in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, this is a look at his death. From noon until 3 in the afternoon, Jesus is already hanging on the cross here. From noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Everyone say shook. The rocks split. Everyone say split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people had died, were raised alive, who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Can you imagine the mayhem of that? When all of a sudden, somewhere out on the outskirts of town, this guy who, who, who was claiming to be the son of God was crucified. Next thing you know, within the next few hours and next few days, grandma comes to visit for dinner. And she's been dead for 20 years. What kind of craziness was going on there? So we see a, a quick picture of his suffering. Now you have to understand when Jesus was moving from his main ministry into a line that was going to line him up with his destiny and purpose, which would be to be the, the sacrificial lamb for all of us and to experience resurrection, he did a lot less preaching and a whole lot more praying. All of a sudden, he wasn't doing as many sermons. He wasn't talking to the big crowds. He didn't have so many followers hanging out with him. He was spending a little bit more time in isolation. That's, that's going to happen to you. If you want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, all of a sudden this whole social scene that you always thought you were a part of isn't appealing to you anymore. You start having some kind of a call within the depth of your heart to just get away and be alone. And you may be surrounded by a million people, but you still feel isolated and alone. And sometimes we curse that isolation. Don't do that. Sometimes you are exactly where God wants you. When God is trying, when, when, when a lamb is giving birth, it always goes away from, a, from, the, from the herd and finds a tree or a bush or a cave to hide in to give birth. When God wants to birth something in you, there's always a coming apart, a pulling away that takes place in your life. Matter of fact, here he is just not too long before he's to be arrested and he, and he leaves and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he doesn't have the big crowds following him. He doesn't have 70 elders. He doesn't have 12 disciples. As a matter of fact, he picked three people to go with him. And they all go hang out. And he said, would you pray with me? And he goes off and he prays. When he comes back and checks on them, they're asleep. And he's frustrated by it. 
But that's because we, we, we go through the same thing. Sometimes when God wants to start bringing you into a new purpose and a new destiny and a greater image of what he's trying to do in you, sometimes you want to take people along with you. And it's really a road that only you can travel. And you get frustrated because they're not taking it as serious or they're not as focused as you are on it. And yet here he is, he goes back and he starts praying. The Garden of Gethsemane. It's no, it's no uh, coincidence that he chose that garden. Uh, that garden was actually an olive grove, and it had big olive presses in it. Matter of fact, Bob and Carrie, I don't know if you all had a chance to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's still there right on the side of the Mount of Olives. Uh, it's, it's, uh, they got a big wall around it now. You can go check it out. It's almost set up like a very uh, European-style garden. Uh, but it's got olive trees all through it. Some of those trees actually date back to the time of Christ. And, and yet, it was a place where they would have big, giant olive presses. Because you've, in order to get olive oil, which is indicative and symbolic of the anointing of God, in order to get the anointing or the olive oil, there had to be a pressing and a, and a crushing and, a, and pressure. Jesus was under pressure, knowing that he, what he was about to face he was being squeezed to the point that the Bible says that he began to sweat as of drops of blood. He was under great anguish trying to line up with this purpose. And that's the thing about olives. Did you realize, I didn't realize this until one time when I was visiting Israel. Uh, you don't get olive oil from the meat of the olive or the flesh of the olive, the part that you eat. Uh, you get the only way to get the oil is you've got to strip away the flesh and then go to the heart of the olive, that hard heart, and it's got to crush. That's why they've got these big giant boulders in the, the old olive presses. They had to crush the heart of the olive in order for the oil to flow. If you're going to operate in the anointing of God, there's going to be some stripping away of your flesh, and there's going to be some crushing of your little heart. Anytime you see someone operating and say, man, I wish I could be as spiritual as them. Man, I wish I could be as, as righteous as them. I wish I had that kind of anointing. You may want to watch what you're asking for because you don't know what kind of heartbreak they've had to go through. You don't know what they've had to, to, to stand before God and, and pay account for. You don't, you don't know what kind of tragedy they've, they've endured or what kind of trials that they've suffered through in order to have that kind of anointing. But, but when you allow God to fellowship with you in some suffering in your life, the anointing that comes from that becomes so precious that you don't want to let go of it. You don't ever want to lose it. Why? Because it costs you so much. The experiences you went through, you paid a hefty price for it. Anyone that is working in ministry has paid some kind of a price. For me to stand here in front of you today, Julie could tell you about the crazy journey that we've been on. But just to be able to have the honor of preaching the word of God, sometimes on Sundays, to my fellow neighbors and, and those who are within this community and this, this group of believers, uh, didn't come easy. We, we lost some things. We had to let go of some things. There were some visions and, and plans that had to be rearranged. There were some relationships that, that didn't survive our transition. There, there was, a, there was a, uh, a fellowship of suffering, if you will, that took place. But we kept our head up. Why? Because we knew eventually it would create some anointing in our life. 
We knew that if we, if we endured the fellowship of his suffering, that, that we we're going to get to experience the power of his resurrection. Amen. So Jesus finally, finally came to terms. For a while he was asking, Lord, if there's any way I can get out of this, if there's any way I can get out of this, if there's another way, can you do it? Let this cup pass from me. What he was actually saying is something that we often pray. Lord, do I have to deal with crucifixion in order to encounter resurrection? Do I have to go through the pain before I can experience the blessing? Can, is there any way around some of this trial to where I can encounter the victory? Do I have to experience crucifixion to obtain the crown? And the answer was no. That's not part of God's plan. We see it repeated all throughout the Bible. There is some symbolism all throughout the word of God. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. And we're going to go through it cyclical within our own life. Death. You're going to die out to some things. You're going to bury it. You'll encounter resurrection. But there's some questions that come from the cross. There's some crying out of Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've all been there, haven't we? God, why did you forget about me? So Jesus comes to term with it. He goes back out, and guess what? His buddies are still asleep. But you know what he said the second time? He said, sleep on. Just sleep on. In other words, there comes a time when you realize and accept that you've got to face some of your own journey all by yourself, that nobody can walk this path with you. And so you're going to be able to look at folks and say, you know what, just keep sleeping. No offense, but I don't need you anymore. Because I know what my God has. I know that I know that I know that the purpose and the destiny that he has for me is going to be all right. I know that there's a resurrection on the end of all this. I know that when God pulls me through, I'm going to encounter some, so much power in him. So it's all right. Sleep on. Sleep on. So Jesus all of a sudden becomes our sin. It wasn't that he was sin. It's just that he became our sin. He never sinned, the Bible said. Uh, matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he never lied, but he became lies. Think about it. He never stole, but he became stealing. He was never depressed, but he became your depression. He was never immoral, but he became immorality. So that everything that was contrary to God, he became. Everything about us that we struggle with, he became. So that he could pay the price so that we wouldn't have to walk around and feel shamed of our flaws, feel shamed of our shortcoming. He paid the price for it. And all we have to do is freely, freely accept it. And so there he was, nailed to the cross, and he became everything that I have ever dropped, everything I have ever failed at, everything I have ever struggled with. And it wasn't the nails that killed him. He was the master of the nails. He was, the Bible says that all things were made through him before the beginning of time. So he made the very steel that created the nails. It wasn't the cross that killed him. He's the one that through him was spoken all life. So the very tree, the very that that the, the seed that was planted to, to grow the tree that created that cross was created through him. So in essence, he created the cross. 
It wasn't the soldier that stabbed him with a spear. Before that soldier was even in his mother's womb, he knew him. He was Lord of it all. But it was the wrath of God because God in that moment stopped seeing Christ and he saw everything that stood contrary to him, the Bible says. And it said that the wrath, all the fullness of the wrath of God was poured out on the cross right there. Wham! So if you're sitting here today thinking God is angry at me because I've messed up, no. He's already, he's poured out his wrath already. He's poured out all of his wrath on the cross. So now we can freely stand and receive his grace and his love and his, un, his unconditional love and his salvation freely. Why? Because he's already taken it out. Jesus already became every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit in the future. He's already became that. And he was already judged for it. That's what killed him. So here he is hanging on this cross, and he cries out. He cries out, Eli, Eli, lemus thabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the Lord showed me something when, when I was preparing for this last night. Do you realize this is the first recorded time that he ever referred to the Father as God? Prior to that, he never said, hey, God. He never said that. Prior to that, every time he referenced him, every time he was ready to speak to him, he called him Father. Said, when you pray, pray this, our Father who art in heaven. Said, Father, I pray that they are one just as you and I are one. He said, I come in my Father's name. And when speaking of the Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Spirit will only speak what he hears the Father say, he always, talked to, he always talked about him in relationship. He always identified him via that father-son mindset. But now here he is in his own crucible. And it's a, when, he, when he's taking on our place, now he refers to him as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't it interesting when... When we're in the spirit of a moment, we can talk one way, but when we're in the heat of the moment, that's a whole different thing. Think about it. Simon Peter, Jesus said, you're going to, you know, you, before the cock throat cries three times, crows three times, you're going you're gonna to deny me. Peter said, I ain't never going to deny you, Lord. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm never going to deny you. I'm not going to betray you. What are you talking about? Then all of a sudden, fast forward to after Jesus' arrest, and then they're threatening to kill anyone that was seen with Jesus. And some little girl says, hey, I saw you. You were hanging out with Jesus. And Peter's like, who? Who? How do you even say this name? Jesus, what? What? All of a sudden, it's a different story, isn't it? John the Baptist would stand victoriously baptizing all these people. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, fast forward to John the Baptist has been imprisoned and he's on death row, scheduled to be beheaded. And he gets one of his servants and he says, Hey, go ask him, Beest thou the Christ? Are, are you really who you say you are? When we're in that heat, Right in the middle of the fellowship of suffering, that's when the questions start arising. And Jesus was no different. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've done the same thing, haven't we? You ever been in, in the heat so bad that you're thinking, God, where in the world are you at? 
How come you're not talking to me? I've been praying. You're not answering me. How come you still have me at this job? Why do you have me in this relationship? How come you haven't sorted me out of this business? Don't you know I've been needing employment? I'm trying to find employment. How come you're not saying a thing? Don't you, don't you realize that this, this friend has betrayed me and, and, and there's no means of being able to patch it together? Why? That was the biggest question that Jesus asked. My God, my God, why? Why do I got to go through all this? What purpose does this serve? You ever felt like asking God that? Lord, what purpose does this serve? Why am I having to go through all this? I thought you loved me. That's the problem is when you know what God is capable of, that's what, that's what the problem is. You are capable of healing me. Why am I having to go through this, God? You are capable of solving my marriage. You are capable of finding employment. You know, you are capable of letting me trip over enough money that would pay off every bill I've ever had. Why am I having to go through this? You are capable, God, of patching this relationship up. Why aren't you doing it? Jesus was in the same spot. But be encouraged, because if you ever found yourself crying out in that way, Lord, why am I having to do this? Why am I going through this? Why haven't you moved? Why? You're right smack in the middle of the fellowship of his suffering. And that's exciting. Why? Because you get to know him that way. And number two, that means that there's some resurrection power that's going to take place. By the time you get through this journey, man, you're going to encounter such power in your life and such anointing in your life. And you're going to know him like you've never known before. But there you hang on your own cross. Why? Why? Where'd you go, Lord? Where'd you go? But now you're right in the middle of where God has you. Why? Because you usually find, think about it. Think about all through your life. When you found yourself in that situation, you usually wind up with, with finally at saying, saying it's something that sounds absolutely ridiculous and sounds absolutely like you're waving the white flag because you finally go, you know what? I give up. I give up. I take my hands off of it. I can't do it. I've tried to make it work. I've tried to find a new job. I've tried to patch this relationship up. I've tried to reach out to this person. I've tried to solve this. I've tried to fix this. And I can't do it, so I'm just letting go of it. And if it happens, it's going to be because God makes it happen. And yet we've considered that a give up. Yet God finally says, ha, ah, finally, you died. That flesh, that will, your own desire has finally been crucified. You've taken your hands off the wheel finally. And you are right. If it's going to happen, it's going to be because of me. Because I don't want you to get the credit. I don't want your friends to get the credit. I don't want your little sleeping friends over here to get the credit. I don't want anyone to get the glory except me because all glory comes to me. And you've got to be able to acknowledge that. Because the Bible said when he died that the veil in the temple, you remember the scripture that we just read? The veil in the temple was torn. Y'all remember how it was torn? God went in there. He tore it from the, from the top to the bottom. That means, think about it, get the image in your head. That means you go in the temple all the way up there where nobody could even reach. That rip started all the way up there. Human hands can't even get up there. We ain't even got a ladder high enough to get on top of that curtain. Yet all of a sudden, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top 
down. Only God could have ripped that. That way, when you get on the other side of all this mess you're going through, and you realize that you're experiencing so much God, all the evidence that you see around you, you're going to walk and say, yeah, that was you, God. I couldn't have done that. The separation you feel between you and God, that veil separated us from the glory. Oh, look at that. Y'all are saved by the, y'all are saved by the clock. This separation, matter of fact, I'll make you even feel even better. Ryan, come on up. Get your guitar. Play me something slow and sad. We're going <laughs> to. That separation that you encounter between you and the glory of God, it separated us from the ark. All the things that you've tried to do to encounter this, to get a hold of God, and you feel like you fail, God's ripping the veil from the top down. Because what God's about to do in your life has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him. Let's all stand. And we're going to end on this thought. The Bible said that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. One of the worst things that we do, we have a habit of doing, when we're going through suffering, we stop our praise. Yet the whole time Jesus was in the midst of his suffering, he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. He's crying out in a loud voice. Do you realize that when you are in your own personal crucible, you can't walk it out because your feet are, your feet are nailed. You can't work it out because your hands are nailed. The only thing you got left that God has left you with is your mouth. And so one of the things that you can do is cry out. The Bible says, cry unto God, shout with a voice of triumph. Matter of fact, Jesus shouted with such power and such emotion and such a spirit that we just got through reading, when he cried out at the end, the whole ground shook. There were earthquakes, there were tombs popping open. Now the Bible says whatever's in your heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, anything that's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. So if you want peace on the outside, if you want to speak peace in the situation, you're going to have to have peace in your heart, right? If you want, if you want a, a spiritual, the Holy Spirit to interact in your situation, if you want to pray in the Spirit, you're going to have to have the Spirit dwelling within you. If you're going to cause an earthquake in your life, you're going to have to have a quake within you. You're going to have to allow God to start shaking some things up. And then releasing it. But the wonderful truth about it is that's not the end of the story. Your death, dying out to your own will, dying out to your own desire, that's not the end of the story. Because the story continues with incredible resurrection power where you know the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies. In other words, the Holy Spirit that, that, that is indwelling in you is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Think about the power it takes to resurrect another human being. That's some serious power. And yet that power rests in us. Oh, what do we have to fear? What do we have to feel helpless for? That's some, that's some extreme power. And yet we've got Christians all over the world that don't even know it. In the book of Acts, they would ask, have you received the power since you believed? They said, we didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. 
So let's introduce, there is, a, there is a power that is alive and well inside of you that is dying to become you and to execute the kingdom of God through you.